All right, the show will start in a moment. Tommy's here, I am here, but how's working from home been going for you? Well, Remarkably Remote from GoToMeeting will help you succeed in today's new normal. In just three minutes or less, we'll share simple but helpful tips to keep you on track. From managing your motivation, workload, and relationships, to hosting and attending virtual events that keep you connected with your clients and colleagues. So check out Remarkably Remote on your favorite podcast platform or head to gotomeeting.com slash tips. You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now here's Kevin. You're listening to The Sports Fix. Yes, it is. It's a Sports Fix Thursday. Tommy from home, me from the studio, Aaron somewhere out there. Uh, we got a, a show today. Um, Tommy's going to tell me what incel means. Uh, we're going to do a segment on the greatest Robins, all right? Uh, the Robins to Batmans, the Scottie Pippen to Michael Jordan, the comps for Scottie Pippen in sports history. Uh, and we've got some Ron Rivera comments from yesterday to go through. But I wanted to open the show by telling you that when I walked into my studio, Tommy, very early this morning for the radio show, there were signs all over the floors. One way, this way, do not enter. They have set up a walking traffic pattern for the office to keep and to ensure social distancing. So now, you don't have two people crossing paths. So you don't have two people walking, uh, you know, towards each other yeah. in the same hallway. Right. Now, let me just make sure that you understand this. I'm the only person here, and I've been pretty much... <laughs> that's not entirely true. There have been occasionally... Occasionally, there have been I've seen one or two other people um, in this office space, but the elevator, you know, when you get off the elevator, you make a left and you make another quick left and a quick right, and you're right in the, in our studio. Well, now they want us to. You can picture this: get off the elevator, take the left off the elevator, and take a right and walk all the way down to the complete other other end of the of the office space. Wow. Make a left and walk all the way around. Like, I am the final stop on this sort of, not circle, oval, I guess it would be, of, of office space. And by the way, Tommy, if you want to walk from the studio just into that kitchen to get yourself some water or some coffee, you've got to go all the way around and enter from the other side. So I'm going to have a conversation with the people that set up this this pattern to say, hey, I'm the only person here for the most part. This should have been a pattern that started by going by my studio and making others walk the long way. I'm the last stop when you get off the elevator. Well, obviously, I'm not paying attention to that right now. I mean, why would I? There's no one else here. If I start to walk against traffic... If I start to go up a one-way hallway, I'll turn around and I'll go back the other way. I'm not going to impose my will, but at the same time, I don't see any speed cameras and I don't see any cops in this office space. I think I'm okay. Don't, don't be a rebel, Kevin. <laughs> I'm not good at rebel. following directions, and nor are you, by the way. Yeah, but, but what's interesting, though, I'm not on a personal level... But as a citizen, 
I'm a go-along guy. <laughs> you I think really you am. are. You think you are until something rubs you the wrong way, and then you, no. and then you're in some somebody's face. You know, I was walking uh, the other day around our neighborhood, and when I see somebody coming down the sidewalk, I'm generally the first one to move to basically move out into the street. I do the same thing. You know? Yeah, and I mean, I just you know that consideration. Uh, so there was this young guy who was starting to jog, run towards me. He was a jogger. Uh, so I moved out into the street. Uh, and uh, I moved back onto the sidewalk after he passed. And I have headphones on because I'm usually listening to music or, or something like that. Uh, so uh, about 10 minutes later, right behind me, this guy runs past me in the other direction. I mean, like right next to me. You know, sweating and huffing, <laughs> and he keeps running, and I scream at him, what the fuck is wrong with you, asshole? And uh, he kept on running. Because <laughs> he had uh, headphones I, on, too? No, he didn't. He was a young kid. Uh-huh. I think the sight of me scared. I think, look, I think generally, particularly these days, since, I mean, there's more hair on me than anything else, mm-hmm. I, think, I think the sight of me scares off some people. So I just think, like, he turned around, looked at me, and decided to keep going. What were you listening to? Uh, at the time, I don't know, my playlist. What's been? What's on your playlist? Tell me what's on your playlist oh. right now. I just added a Nora Jones song oh, yesterday. Okay. I just added a Nora Jones song. Uh, I added Traffic not long St- ago. Steve Winwood? Low, yeah, Low Spark of High Heel Boys. Uh, you know, I've got a lot of rhythm and blues. Uh, I've got some old, uh, I've got some Louis Prima, uh, old time music. Uh, you know, I've would, got some Would Louis Prima be on stuff. the 40s station on, on XM Sirius? Yes, he would. Okay, I think I've seen that. What, not, yeah. f- not familiar with his work. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that, that's pretty much it. It's, it's, I have very, uh, diversified taste. I've got... Uh, you know, uh, uh, Merle Haggard mm-hmm. on there, Johnny Cash on there, a lot of Elton John, a lot of James Brown, Otis Redding, stuff like that. Do you have, um, how many play, how many, are you on Spotify or do you have it set up? Uh, I, I set up my own list. I, I download Stuff on iTunes from or Apple from iTunes oh, okay. and, and get it myself. And I would I would recommend Spotify. It's much better, much better. Really? Well, yeah, because you know, first of all, you know, you, you pay the monthly fee or whatever, and all that music's available. You're not paying per download, and you know, you can put together all the same lists. And there's, you know, they they create you know sort of daily mixes for you based on your listening you know habits and research. I don't want anyone to create any music for me. Well, I you don't decide have to, the you music. Don't, you don't have to use it. You can create your own playlist. You can you know, and every single song you've ever heard of is just available real quickly, and you don't have to pay ninety nine cents when you download it. But I'm not a cheapskate. I don't care I don't, about paying well, ninety nine cents. I, you, yeah, I, I get that. I'm not. It's not necessarily a cost thing. But you know, it's just actually. I would wonder. I, I would. I would. I would imagine Apple's got the same library of music that Spotify does. I don't know. I got on Spotify a year ago, 
uh, after doing the same thing you were doing. And it's just so much better and so much easier, um, I have found. Anyway, um, let me let me read to you the first couple of songs on my list. Okay. Well, the, the, the artist, Jimmy Ruffin, uh, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, Melissa Manchester, mm-hmm. The Cranberries, uh, The Commodores, The Moody Blues, uh, Asia, uh, Sting, Uriah Heep, uh, Elton John, David Ruffin, uh, J.J. Kale, Robert Palmer, Steely Dan, Peter Frampton. Nice. That's what I got. And we we actually have, believe it or not, a, a lot of the same things. Like I'm just I'm just opening up Spotify here. Um, on a playlist here: Zeppelin, The Who, U2, Springsteen, The Stones, Black Crows, Petty, Soundgarden, Nirvana, Pearl Jam, Alice in Chains. Evanescence, uh, Elton John, Paul McCartney, Wings, Foo Fighters, Smashing Pumpkins, Muse, Sunny Day Real Estate, uh, Green Day, The Cure, Radiohead, Fleetwood Mac, um, Sarah McLaughlin, love her voice, Weezer, Queen, R.E.M., Cranberries, Pretenders, Prince, Phoenix, Van Halen. Been listening to a lot of Van Halen recently. It's so funny because... You know that one of my two, one of my sons is a musician. He's in, in in a band. He plays guitar. He plays drums. He writes music. He sings the whole thing. I've got his stuff on here too, um, uh-huh. but um, they we agree on a lot of the music. But for whatever reason, like eighties Van Halen, they they just keep telling me. But my boys are like, it's just cheesy hair band eighties music. I'm like, what are you talking about? Van Halen or Van Morrison? Well, Van Halen. Um, okay. And, and I'm like, Eddie Van Halen's, first of all, one of the greatest guitarists in history. And those songs, especially the Eddie Lee Roth, I, I don't know. I actually, I, I think I think everything um, Van Halen is actually not cheesy 80s hairband rock. If anything, they've got a lot of what I would call pop rock songs. You know, there are songs like Dance the Night Away is a song that's not like a true hard rock hair band song. It's more of a pop song. I don't know. I, I, I was always a David Lee Roth Van Halen guy. I like Sammy Hagar and I like, like a lot of the ballads that, you know, Eddie Van Halen wrote during that era. Um, but I always find that interesting because my boys like a lot of the music I liked, like, you know, and I'm just looking through the rest of it. I've been listening to a lot of Rush recently. A ton of Rush. You know, I... It's funny, I just added my first Food Fighter song uh, the other day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that's the only Food what was Fighter your, what song. Was, what, I, was, what was your food, first Food Fighter song that you added? It's called Home. Home. You know about it? Uh, home. What album? I, I, I'm, I, I'm sure I've heard it. I, I can't identify you it. You know, I think they played it at the end of an episode of this series I'm watching. I don't think I've talked to you about this. Because I'm such a latecomer to it, Bosch. I'm not. I'm not hip to it. I've heard about it. I'm not. I'm not on watching Am- it on A- Amazon Prime. It's been on for six years, and we're we're in the middle of binge watching it. We really like it. Uh, it's it's produced by uh, Eric Overmeyer, great TV producer. He produced a lot of the Law and Order uh, series, and he worked with David Simon on The Wire and and Treme. Uh, I'd recommend Bosch. 
to you. I think you I, really I need like to. It. I need to. I can't get. I can't listen to your new recommendations because the single best recommendation you ever made, which every single person has backed up. Not that I needed backup to your recommendation. That I've never watched. That has been on my list during this. You know, during the last two and a half months, and I haven't even watched episode one. Is The Wire? Like I've never watched The Wire. I need to watch The Wire before I get to Bosch. Yes, you do. Well, what's that? What are you, are you so busy? <laughs> I don't know why. I don't know what takes up my days. You know, oh I really, God. I honestly don't. Like, you know, it's it's funny because um, I, I forget if you and I were having this conversation, or maybe Cooley and I were having this conversation yesterday. You know, I've been working. Like all the, uh, the, the athletic, um, I, I didn't share this with you. The athletic, Ben Standing texted me earlier in the week and he said, will you answer these five questions? We're putting together this thing where sports people in DC, we're going to find out what they've been doing during the pandemic and, you know, and I, I don't have it in front of me, but b- basically it was like, you know, What's the where's the fir- what's the first thing you want to do when this thing was over? And I just said I want to go to Vegas. <laughs> like, I mean, I'd, <laughs> there are a lot of other places I'd like to go to, but I've been out and about. Like, I go to work, I go home, I go to restaurants. We pick up from restaurants a lot. I go to the supermarket a lot. I've not been homebound during this thing. Obviously, it's been a lot different than you know than it was before, and I want it to get back to the way it was. But um. Yeah. But what I, do you do? What do you do at night? Walk the streets? You're not watching sports. You know what, Tommy? I do a lot of walking. I do I I I do I I've been trying to get a minimum of 10,000 steps in a day according to my Fitbit. Um, and typically because I'm working and by the way, sitting, doing a three hour radio show, then doing this podcast, I'm sitting, I don't get the walking in until late afternoon in the evening. I do watch a lot of news. I, I watch a lot of news. That, from... that you need to stop that. You need to stop doing that. Why? Because it's not healthy. It, uh, it's interesting. What you're watching is not healthy. I think. I think it's interesting. I, I also no. really think it's interesting how this thing gets covered. I watch everything and I read everything. I read. I, I do. I've read a lot um, recently. News related stuff. But um, you need l- to start reading something other than news too. That's, you know, pick up a book. That's true. I haven't done that in a long time. Yes. So the questions the questions that Standig asked me for The Athletic and the other people that they reached out to were players, uh, John Carlson, Brendan Dillon, Garnett Hathaway from the Caps, Adam Eaton from the Nats, um, former Redskin. How did you wind up? I know in that exactly. Group? Former Redskin Will Blackman, Carol Maloney's on here, Jimmy Patsos, Paul Menhart. I'm going to get to some of his answers here in a moment. FP, um, Tommy Shepard, uh, Walt Williams. But anyway, um, so that I, I just pulled up the uh, the the article. The first place you want to go when you can. Um, Will Blackman said, "Take my wife and kids to Bordeaux, France, or Maui. Maui Maui would have been a better answer. It's just such a long trip." Um, but, uh, but, you know, Vegas would be like getting to Vegas. And by the way, I haven't been to Vegas in three years. 
It's been at least three years since I've been to Vegas. That's that's life. That's nonstop life. If you if you show up in Vegas and you hear the slot machines going walking into a casino, you know the sound of walking into a casino and the action and the life. And it's twenty four hours a day, seven days a week. If if Vegas were back to Vegas, and it, it, that would be on my top, t- you know, that was my first answer. I, I don't know if it would actually be the first place I would go, but. It would be a place that I would love to go to. I haven't been there in a while, and it would be fun. Um, the next... But it would have to be. It would have to be Vegas, as you know it. That's. It, it, I mean, yes. You know. I mean. Yes. Not I, with. I don't think Vegas. Once things open up, it's going to be the same that you and I knew. Yeah, there may be like big, you know, tall plexiglass, you know, um, yeah. par- partition be deals between each seat at the at the blackjack table. I don't know what they're going to do at a dice table. How do you keep? I guess you just limit the number of people that can be on there throwing. But you know, people can't scream like they used to because those, you know, th- those little virus spores or whatever they travel. Yeah, they go flying out. I know. So the next question was: since this is like Groundhog Day. Are you taking any hobby to the next level? Um, I have, I think I've told you this before. I, I, I juggle and I juggle sometimes just when I'm like, whatever, stressed or whatever. Kevin, Kevin. That's, that's the hobby that I've taken to the next level. I, I'm throwing it behind the back and catching it. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Can you hear me? I hear you. I've known you for how long? What? Since probably 18 years or so. Yeah. You have never told me that you juggle. I think I have. No, not once. I think that I have. That is something I would have, because <laughs> I would have pounded you mercilessly about it. Why? If I knew you juggle. Why would you pound me for it? I, w- I would have said, that's what clowns do. They juggle. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, the, that would be true. But, but, that but, would but be... I didn't, I, you never told me yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 now, look, it's not something I do all the time. And the only reason, I'll tell you the reason that I brought, you know, three tennis balls into the studio. And I, and I will do it like in between, just do it when I'm up and trying to walk around rather than sitting. Is I read about a month ago that juggling's really good for your brain. I didn't know that before. But it's really apparently very, I mean, obviously it's good for hand-eye coordination and all of that. But apparently it is good for your brain to be able to juggle, you know, I don't think at a, at a professional level if there's even such a thing. Um, but at a, um, at a competent level, which I can do. I've always been able to juggle at a very competent level. So anyway, My wife can juggle. You would like to juggle? Yeah, you're beautiful. No, no, my wife can juggle. She can? can juggle. Well, she's coordinated. Yeah, because, well, because, yeah, she is. She actually would have been a very good athlete because her brother uh, uh, was a magician and, and a juggler and performer, so he taught her. Uh, but it'd be a lost cause with me. But I can't believe you never stood up in the studio at one point <laughs> during a break and started juggling. Uh, you know what? There was like a several year period where I just, I didn't, we had these juggling balls in the house, you know, um, th- th- they make these juggling balls that are sort of perfect for catching and perfect size for most hands and they're multicolor. I had those in the house forever. 
and my kids would sit there and watch me juggle like when they were younger and they they would get a kick out of it and and they learned how to juggle at least at least one of my boys I know can juggle really um uh, effectively I can tell you one of the things I did tell you that you didn't know about me. We did one of those segments one day, and I told you that I was a good bowler at one point in my life, which I was. Yeah, yeah. So well, it makes sense because you're a good athlete. So, so you, so you remember, you remember that. Um, so, yeah. b- but by the way, you know, like, I, I, the the point as I'm going through this is because I've gotten up every day like I have been for you know a while now since going back to radio super early in the morning usually at around 4:30 all right and gotten ready for work and gone to work it's not like I've been sitting around all day you know able to work on a hobby like if you if I had a lot if I had unlimited time you know what I would absolutely absolutely want to do again when I was younger, I played a lot of chess. And when I say younger, I'm talking about like elementary school and middle school and haven't played it since. Like I would like to learn how to play chess again. I know how to play, but I would learn like to learn how to play well um, chess. I think that would be something that I would want to do. Um, uh, the next question was, what aspect of life are you now appreciating more? You know, people got really deep with these answers. I, the first thing that came to mind is I, I just, I would appreciate a life without sort of the smell of rubbing alcohol again. Every smell is rubbing alcohol, at least in my house. My wife is very into you know, wiping every surface down with, you know, all the sanitizer. But we have so much rubbing alcohol. And I think I've told you this. I have a box of Huggies, like the baby wipes that you can yeah. purchase. And I we got a bunch of those baby wipes. And, you know, once a week she she fills it up and she drenches it in rubbing alcohol. So I use it on door handles. I use it, you know, in, in a supermarket to wipe down the shopping cart. And that smell is making me sick. And that smell, by the way, will now always remind me of this, you know, portion of all of our lives, the smell of rubbing alcohol. So I'd like a life with no rubbing alcohol, which, by the way, you're going to say, sorry, pal, that's going to be one of the big changes. We're going to be washing our hands and we're going to be rubbing down everything with sanitizer and soap and rubbing alcohol for the rest of our lives. Oh, I don't know. I, I, I don't know what the changes are, are going to be. I think, personally, uh, I'll be washing my hands for the rest of my life a lot more than I used to. I'll be aware of the rest of my life about spreading germs more than I ever was before. I don't know if those will go to extremes. I don't know how everybody else will react. Uh, we're not as meticulous, I guess, as your household is. Uh, but that, there's only two of us. Yeah, there's only two and, of you, and you and, and I and I never go out. You know, <laughs> right? I send right. her out to get the groceries. Liz goes to the supermarket. Yeah, she goes to get the groceries. I stay home. Uh, she recognizes your your high risk. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Well, she recognized that. She recognized I was high risk from the day she met me. How do you feel when she walks back in from the supermarket carrying all those groceries and bags and, and you know, uh, how are you concerned well, that again, she's bringing no, the virus back into your place? No, I'm not. She wears a mask. Right. 
I mean, she wipes down the cart like you do. Uh, she uh, wipes down everything uh, when after she, when as soon as she you know brings it in. Uh, she washes her hands. Uh, she takes all the precautions you can take. Yeah, you know. You know, you ask. So I, I, I don't think. I don't think. I think if you, if you, I, I, I have a belief that if you follow certain steps, you're reducing your chance of, of being course. at risk. Of course. So, you, so we're diligent about that. You know, the, the funny thing is, like early on, it's like don't go out, don't do this. Don't, you know, you stay. Now, you know, I, I think we we know enough to know that getting out of the house is actually healthier that a lot of the virus spread is in a house, especially where there are a lot of people, which I've been a part of here over the last two months. But you asked me, like, what are you doing? You've got all this free time. I have watched some shows. You know that. I mean, obviously the documentaries that we've been talking about. But, like, I really enjoyed, and I, I was able to knock that out in a day, um, Ricky Gervais's Afterlife and Afterlife 2. Uh, I think I recommended th- that to you. It, and a lot of people, by the way, who I recommended, almost everybody to a person that responded to me on Twitter said that was the best recommendation um, that, that, that I've made in a while because not everybody liked Once Upon a Time in Hollywood when I highly recommended that. I loved it even more the second time, as an aside. Um, but I think getting out, I, I am outside a lot. After I do the show in the podcast, and the, my favorite thing in my house right now is my, is my dog, is my puppy. Um, so I, I spend a lot of time with her and I walk her a lot and, and spend a lot of time outside with her, by the way, by myself with her, because I don't need to be around anybody else. And if you're outside getting fresh air, not around it, but, but, but by the way, when we go for a walk, you're right. Like there is, there are so many people out all the time. And I am the one that will just, you know, I'll take the dog and I'll, I'll walk into the street until they've passed me on the sidewalk. Oh, by the way, um, real quickly, what I've been doing recently is now that it's getting darker later, the, the time in which the sun goes down and it really turns from evening into night, that's when I've been going out and walking the dog. And that's been, you know, eight o'clock, you know, between eight and eight thirty recently. It is so peaceful out. There's no traffic. Now the traffic's increased recently. The last couple of nights in particular, though, have been sort of breezy and chilly. It's actually been so nice. Tommy, there is what I would call a secondary road off of my street, which is a true side street in a neighborhood. And the secondary road gets a lot, you know, normally, you know, morning rush, evening rush gets a lot of traffic. And then afterwards it gets, you know, some traffic, normal traffic. I've been walking down at that time of night in the middle of the street and it's just surreal like i'm i'm walking down the middle of the street with the dog as the sun is truly setting and it's turning to night and there's no cars i've done that at least a dozen times over the last month it's actually a really like i'm wondering if we're when we get out of this if you'll ever have that ability again you know it's not it's not 2 in the morning it's 8:15 in the evening and you know you're so sensitive. I never knew this about you. What do you mean, so sensitive? You're such a sensitive flower. <laughs> why, why is that sensitive flower like? I mean, you know, the sounds of silence, the, 
the the uh, meditative moments for you. It's I not, had no it's, idea they were I, so important. It's not a meditative moment. I stumbled upon it uh, upon it one night, and I sort of enjoy being able to walk down the middle of what usually is a much busier street, and almost thinking in the moment that I'm like the only person here. It's it's Listen, weird. Um, I, I think I, I feel like you betrayed me. Because I can't get over this juggling thing. Okay. It's like I don't even know who you are. <laughs> I, there's there there are plenty of things we don't know about about each other. Um, the the fourth question that they sent out was complete this sentence. The most random thing I've done during this period is what would be your answer to that? I can't think. Look, I do the same thing every day. <laughs> uh, I yeah. mean, I, I wake up, uh, I, I go through my email, you know, uh, on, on the days I have to write a column, I write a column. On the other days, I, I work on this, I told you I'm writing a screenplay. Uh, I, I work on that. Uh, then I go for a walk, usually a two-mile walk, in, in like around 3 o'clock in the afternoon. How's the screenplay going, uh, real quickly? Uh, it's, it's almost done. I mean, I'm I'm like eight pages from being finished. Can I read it when it's done? Uh, I don't know. Okay. All right. Finish what you're know. saying. And uh, you know, then I I made a vow uh, at the beginning of this to go through my 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 phone rolodex and try to call almost everybody everybody on that list. Just to check in, just to say hi, even if I haven't talked to them in ten years. Really? See that—that yes. that is a random thing, and also a very sort of sensitive flower-esque kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, you're reaching out because it's a very unique time, and and that's a very sensitive thing to do. So, so that tell that, me about tell me about the most interesting conversation as you've been doing this. Well, let me look at my list because I've been keeping a list of everybody I called, so I don't lose track of it. Is this a book, possibly, uh, or a column? No, 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 no. It, it's nothing like that. Is, is this is this instead of Tuesdays with Maury? Is this pandemic <laughs> with Tommy? No, pandemic no, calls no. with Tommy. No, it's nothing, nothing. Like I talked to, uh, I talked to, uh, I talked to Manny Acta, the former uh, Nationals manager. I, I talked to Ernie Bauer, you know, our good friend. Yep. Uh, former pro- uh, producer, sports producer in town. I gave Charlie Brotman a call. Joe Beninati. Uh, you know who I talked to? Who? Remember Ray Blankenship? Of course. I talked to Ray. How's Ray doing? Ray, who used to work with us yeah. at ESPN 980. How's he doing? Ray is doing. He's doing great. Do you know how? Uh, he, do you know how he got the job at, I, at I 980? Do, thanks, thanks to you. Well, I, uh, the, he was the, working the, in a diner. Right? I'm not doing it for to promote myself, but he was working as a waiter at Silver Diner right around the corner. And I was there. It must not have been with you. Maybe it was with Stern. And we were grabbing lunch, and he, you know, told us how much he liked the station and the show, and did we offer any internships? And I, and I remember, like it was two days before, they were looking for interns, and I say, hey, yeah, you want an intern starting internship starting this summer? I'll get you one. And he started there, and he worked there for several years, and he was a nice guy. Yes, 
terrific guy. Well, now, I mean, he's got a family now. He's got a little baby. Uh, he's got a, a, a great uh, fiancé. Uh, and uh, I think he works at in the Montgomery County school system. So he, he's, he's doing very good. And I, I think uh, he works for a catering business, too. Uh, and I talked to Ray, and he's very happy. No, that's good. But he has fond memories of of working with us at ESPN 980. I've called a couple of sports I called Bob Ford, who was a sport, sports columnist for the Philly Inquirer for years. Uh, but he grew up in College Park and went to University of Maryland. Bob Ford? And, I've never heard of him. Yeah, yeah. The excellent columnist for the Inquirer. He just retired, like, about a month ago. So I called him up. There's there's a bunch of colleagues, friends of mine, like Peter Schmuck from the Baltimore Sun. Sure, I remember he that name. He just announced his retirement. So there's a lot of friends of mine who I've reached out to who are announced they retired from the business. I tell you what, my, my business is is this this is the final blow. It's never going to be like it was. Not even close to resembling anything that that I recognize. So th- this is actually this is really um, this is really nice that you're doing this. I'm, when you get someone on the phone and they answer the phone after you haven't talked to them in a long period of time, what do you say? I say, hey, I just want, I want to make sure you're doing okay in this in the age of coronavirus. I want to make sure you're doing okay there. <laughs> That's really That's nice. Tough. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, Manny Acta, I mean, uh, the, the, the former Nats manager, I, I, I know he always liked you. Um, the, uh, that's, that's really nice. You know, so the, that, that would be the answer to the most random okay. thing you've been doing. Don't you think? Okay. Well, yeah, but I mean, I call a lot of people during a normal course of business, but this is, this is, a a, a strict, you know, uh, routine that, uh, with a goal. Of, of trying to get everybody on. Now, now, I don't call everybody on the list. There's some people that I never, I don't want to talk to. You sure. Know? Yeah. And I just I, skip I, over I, them. I, I, by the way, real quickly could put down three names right now that I know are in your Rolodex, but, uh, or in your, you know, phone contact list, but I'm pretty sure you wouldn't call them because Tommy, for those of you that have been listening to Tommy for years, know, you know this. He's got a list. He's got a list. He's he's got a list of people that uh, will never get a call in this particular moment. He does not forget. He does not forget. Right. By the way, the, no, I don't. The answer to this question, or the fill in the blank part, I mean, people really had some interesting answers. Will Blackman, I launched a wine club called the Wine MVP. It's not random to me, but it was to everyone else because a lot of people didn't realize how serious I am about wine. Quite the entrepreneur is Will Blackman. Um, the uh, uh, Paul Menhart, all right? Paul Menhart, the Nats pitching coach, says he's become an electrician and a plumber during this pandemic that's the most <laughs> random thing i mean how do you how do you become an electrician that's dangerous without hands on well, experience and 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 somebody teaching you i guess you can learn anything on youtube yeah i think that's it i mean you got to have a fundamental uh ability to uh work with you know to to think like that yeah. in order to i mean i i could watch youtube videos for 500 hours and I could never be an electrician. You know? <laughs> right, me neither. Yeah, <laughs> but, when it comes but, to that kind of stuff, must, yeah. 
Yeah. But somebody who basically thinks they're a, a fix-it kind of guy, I could see how they could teach themselves how to be an electrician uh, just by watching videos. You know, it's funny. There's nothing that would interest me less if I had all the free time in the world than learning a trade. Like, you know, learning to become a plumber or an electrician or a roofer or something like that. You know, you, there, there's a self-awareness that I have. I know you don't always give me credit for it. And I'm very self-aware about my inability to fix things. My wife is much handier around the house than I am. Although we did spend, I mean, a good four to six hours on Sunday, you know, cleaning out the garage. I can clean things. I can clean. I can't. I can't. This is this is your your handy yeah. your handy I can man clean. act. Yeah. Well, I can clean too. Right. For God's but, sake. But you'd be a pain in the ass. You'd quit after ten minutes. Um, Tommy Shepard, listen to this. He's taking online classes at Yale. Good for him. I Good mean, for him. I I, I like Tommy. I Shepard, like Tommy a lot. Ernie Ernie Grunfeld's uh, replacement. I hope he does well. Uh, I, I, I like Tommy Shepard a lot. Good for him. You know, this is the Don King philosophy. Don King once told me that when he went to prison for beating a man to death, by the way, uh, he uh, was determined. He said, I was going to make time work for me. I wasn't going to do time. And he spent his, the five years that he only had to serve in prison because the governor pardoned him in Ohio. Uh he spent that time in, in reading in the library, reading, 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 reading law books, reading history books, and educating himself uh, because he was determined to, you know, if the, if they were going to rob me of time, I was going to take something back from them. And that's sort of this philosophy of trying to do something, you know, uh, during this time when you're on isolation. Uh, that was the point of my screenplay. I said, said to myself, you know, I'm going I'm to I'm going to make this work for me, not the other way around. Yeah, that, that I, I've heard you um, reference that Don King line before, and it's it's great. And he was smart, obviously, to to do that. You know, um, the the late Morgan Wooten used to always have this. Um, you know, he had a bunch of idioms and 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 platitude things and that he would teach everybody and, and refer to during his basketball camp that I went to growing up. And one of the things that he always mentioned was don't let basketball use you, you use basketball. And it was his lesson to every single one of his DeMatha players. It was like you can use basketball to be to get an education, to get an introduction into a business. Like most of you are not going to play in the NBA. Almost all of you. In fact, the, the odds are basically that none of you in this camp today will ever play in the NBA, including, by the way, my high school players that are the counselors. You know, so he would he would always emphasize that. And then the reason I brought this up is Quinn Cook on that special, on that documentary on PG County Basketball, played on a DeMatha team with five future NBA players. That's <laughs> unbelievable. That really is. That's amazing. I mean, it's unheard For of. For a high school. A For high one sc- high school. One high school team, five future NBA players were on it. 
That's pretty amazing. Um, my answer to complete this sentence, the most random thing I've done during this period, is was not nearly as deep and certainly not very sensitive. Um, it was that I've rediscovered, you know, Captain Crunch. Um, it was my favorite <laughs> cereal. It was it was my favorite cereal when I was a kid. And I just don't eat as much cereal anymore. But over the last two and a half months with the boys home, there is so much cereal in our pantry. Um, Cinnamon Toast Crunch, lots of different Cheerios and Cheerios flavors, uh, Lucky Charms. A lot of the sugar cereals are loaded into there. And I'm telling you, Tommy, one out of every three mornings. I start my morning with a bowl of Captain Crunch at 4.30, 4.45 in the morning. It is so good. I have no idea what's in it. Um, it's uh, probably a lot of corn syrup and sugar, but it is damn good. And then, Did you um, used to eat it when you were a kid? Uh, yes, that's my point, is I rediscovered okay. Captain Crunch. That was my favorite cereal. I, you know, like, I remember I loved cereal as a kid, Um Captain Crunch was my favorite. I loved Lucky Charms. Um, I remember the chocolate cereals like Cocoa Puffs, and that was an outstanding... God, you know what? I'm writing that one down. I should... <laughs> I would love... Do you want to go cuckoo for Cocoa I, Puffs? Yes, I haven't had Cocoa Puffs in years. And I remember the only problem with Cocoa Puffs, it was a great cereal, is that the milk would just turn an ugly brown color. When you were done eating it. <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, the last question on this thing was, what's one piece of wisdom you've gained from this experience? I mean, I don't know. I would have had to really, I would have had to be critical of various people in my home if I had really answered this honestly. <laughs> so because you and I are both massive Office fans, um, the the wisdom that I gained because I had just watched this episode when he had, when he had texted this to me, um, I said I learned that Pam's a seven in Scranton, but more like a six in New York. <laughs> 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 which, but with which, which of course was the famous you know Ryan line when they were off right. on the Michael Scott you know paper company, paper um, company, yeah. yeah. And Ryan's on the phone you know talking to one of his buddies from New York talking about Pam, and he's like, yeah, she's a seven in Scranton would be more like a six in New York, and Pam's <laughs> just sitting there with that look like you asshole. Um, but uh, yeah. Um, anyway, I don't. I didn't even mean to get sidetracked on all, all of that, but that's what you and I always tend to do. And uh, sorry if you didn't enjoy it. Let me tell you real quickly about Roman. Uh, if you were to guess on average how many days people in the U.S. have to wait to see a doctor, what would you say? A week maybe? Actually, on average, people have to wait around 29 days to see a doctor in major U.S. cities. Basically a month. If you're dealing with a condition like erectile dysfunction, you want treatment ASAP. That's why our friends at Roman have spent years building a digital platform that can connect you with a doctor licensed in your state, all from the comfort of your home. Roman makes it convenient to get the treatment you need on your schedule. Just grab your phone or computer, complete a free online visit, and you'll hear back from a U.S. licensed physician within 24 hours. And if the doctor decides that treatment is right for you, Roman's Pharmacy will ship your medication to you with free 
two-day shipping. You also get free unlimited follow-ups with your doctor anytime you have questions or you just want to adjust your current treatment plan. With Roman, there are no commitments and you can cancel anytime. So if you're struggling with ED, go to GetRoman.com and use my promo code SHEAN. All right, for this one, it's Sheehan, S-H-E-E-H-A-N, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. That's GetRoman.com, promo code Sheehan, for a free online visit and free two-day shipping. Um, I wanted to just mention, you have a couple of things that you want to get to, and we were going to talk about Scottie Pippen and the greatest Robins to his Michael Jordan Batman in sports history. But I, I'm assuming you saw the story of the Redskins' uh, fourth-round draft pick, Antonio Gandy-Golden, from Liberty University, Jerry Falwell's inter- uh, university. He tested positive yes. for coronavirus. <clears throat> so, yes, I um, did see that. So he tested positive for co- coronavirus on March 24th. He self-quarantined for two weeks. He is 100% healthy, all is well. And yesterday, and I guess the news sort of broke after the show, although I think Burgundy Blog had it on his, um, had it originally. Uh, he broke the news, actually, and then uh, Antonio Gandy-Golden actually confirmed it uh, via social media. Anyway, I was thinking about sort of, you know, it was like big news yesterday. Uh, you know, with younger, professional, healthy athletes, I do think, Tommy, We are going to get to a point where the games resume and there are positive tests and we understand that there's like a 99 point, you know, whatever percent probability that nothing's going to come of it, that these healthy, professional, young athletes are all going to be just fine. You know, all of these, whether it's Rudy Gobert or Kevin Durant or Von Miller or Donovan Mitchell, you know, we've been hearing about these athletes for two months now that that have tested positive. None of them, by my count and by my, you know, going back and just Googling all the professional athletes that have had it, none of the young athletes have even gotten sick. Most of them have had very mild symptoms. And I'm sure there are many out there that have been asymptomatic. I guess my point to you is, I think we're going to get to a point here, and it's going to be this summer, where these leagues are going to resume. The NBA is going to play you know, in front of no spectators at Disney World or wherever they're now thinking about playing. The NHL is going to resume with this idea of a 24-team playoff tournament, 12 teams per per conference. The NFL is going to start on time. Ohio State, uh, their athletic department says they're ready to play football in September. And they think based on social distancing guidelines in in the state of Ohio, that they can fit 20 to 22,000 people into Ohio Stadium and still follow the, the, the Ohio rules for social distancing. And when it comes to these young professional athletes, they're going to test positive and they're going to self-quarantine, but it's not going to be horrendous news when they do. Kevin, Kevin, this is not a, I, I doubt if any of this is going to happen. Okay? And like which, I, I which part? Before, which part do you doubt? One thing, I don't think the NBA is going to come back to play. I don't think the NHL is. I don't think baseball is. And I think the NFL, if they start the season, they'll have to shut it down in the middle of the season. I think all that is going to happen. 
the one thing you're not considering when it comes to these young athletes is some of these athletes are married. And what's going to come, come up in, in homes of these athletes is how much risk uh, or how much inconvenience or how, ma- how difficult is it going to be for their families to deal with this. You know, what about the athlete with a diabetic wife? What about the diabetic athlete who puts himself at risk? You know, there's there's lots of base there's not lots of baseball players, but there's baseball players who are type one diabetics. You know, uh, what about kids? Kids who have conditions. Uh, look, we're in an age where athletes leave their team in the middle of a playoff to go watch the birth of their children. Well, we're I not, guarantee we're, 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 we we we're in we're not in an age of that. We've we've got one example of that. Well, that's only because, I mean, it's very rare that you have that situation in the playoffs. But athletes leaving their teams for, for you know, for childbirth, it happens all the time. And it all, and, and there are that's plenty not, of athletes that don't leave their teams in the middle yeah, of the know, season. Yeah, I but all it takes is a couple, and it depends on who it is. Yeah. Mike Trout's wife is pregnant. If this becomes an issue for him, he's not playing baseball. So I, I think you're, you're really, really optimistic about, you know, baseball's, and baseball's plan to come back. They want to make sure they're done with their postseason by the middle of November. Why? Because, because of the return the of the virus. I, I, That's the heart <clears throat> of the NFL season. Tommy, I, um, I didn't necessarily disagree with you when you said, Kevin, the tournament's not going to happen. That was the conversation we had very early in March. It was even before Rudy Gobert tested positive, and I suggested to you, what would happen if one player tests positive in this tournament? That team might be shut down, right? And you looked at me, you were in studio that day, and you said, no, 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 no. They're not playing the tournament. And it was the next night, I think, that Rudy Gobert tested positive, and you know, basically the dominoes started falling on, on all of sports. I disagree with you. I disagree with you. I think that we are absolutely heading towards a return of sports. I think that uh, positive tests are not going to shut down teams or leagues. I think that with – and look, when you bring up an example of a player who has an underlying condition – well, that player – I won't dispute the possibility that that player may not play. And I don't know who those players are, but I, I, I'm not disagreeing with you. I'm sure that there are plenty of professional athletes that do have some risks. You know, I mean, I remember, you know, I don't even know if this is a risk, but what did Ryan Clark have that didn't allow him to play at high altitudes? You know, and I know that there are, there are professional athletes. Yeah, I, think he, I think it was sickle cell. I think sickle, it was. sickle cell. Something yeah, like that, that. That, that sounds right. Um, I know that there are athletes that are asthmatics. Because I know that there are athletes, I've been at Redskins Park before, and I've seen players, you know, using albuterol before. So there may be players that have underlying conditions that won't, maybe won't be a part of this. But I think for the most part, we are headed towards a midsummer return. The baseball thing's interesting because of the economics. But I think we are headed towards a mid to late summer return of the NHL and the NBA and an on-time start to the NFL season. 
And I think there's going to be a plan in place for when somebody tests positive, they are going to be quarantined. They're not going to be able to play for two weeks. Everybody's going to get tested consistently. If you test positive, you're out. You're not just out for that day. You're out for two weeks. But I think there's going to be a recognition that the significant majority of the participants, especially if they're playing in front of empty crowds, are not at high risk here. The risk of serious injury is higher than the, than the risk of them getting seriously ill from COVID-19. But Kevin, no, nobody can take a broken ankle. I understand that and transmit and it. it to their kids. Uh, understood. But my point is, is that the original and and still perhaps for a lot of people concern is that these players are going to get themselves sick and everybody else sick and they're going to get seriously ill. You're right. They're going to have to make some decisions about whether or not they want to spend potentially months away from their family. Like in the NBA, they're talking about Walt Disney World being a, a, a hub uh, for players to live and to play games in. The NHL in their uh, and, and the, the Greg Wyshynski report last night may be playing a lot of these postseason games in just a few cities, in a few hub cities. You know, so you'll have some of that. But I don't think that I, I don't think you're right. I think we're going to see the resumption of sports. I think we're going to see it be able to move on with positive testing. I think where it gets really, really into the area of the unknown is. A second wave, a second wave of a virus that's mutated and become more dangerous and more and more virulent and more of a threat, which we don't know if that'll happen or not, then it's a completely different ball game ball game. But I think based on what we know, look, you know, there's a story out today, and I saw it right when the show ended this morning, that basically the loss of a college football season, you're talking about four billion dollars of loss and a totally changed scape for college sports moving forward if they don't play this football season coming up. You know, you're not just talking about college sports that are impacted, you're talking about major universities that will be impacted in a in a meaningful way without football. I, I think we're getting all of it. Okay, well let me just say this is a very simplistic view I'm gonna give you here. Okay. But if you've ever been sick, you know that it's the absolute truth. Nothing matters more than your health. All the money in the world doesn't matter compared to your health. I bet you've been sick sometimes where you would have given everything in your bank account to be healthy. Again. Yeah, no, you're right. I, okay, that's, so, that's, so that's... I mean, it, it, costs, it costs a lot of money. There's a lot of money at stake, but, I mean... The bottom line for everyone will be health. I just think that there's gonna, it's going to be a complicated issue for a lot of families, uh, more so than the money. I, I just think that's going to come into play. You know, I, I'm not, I don't know if I'm right. I just think it's going to be more complicated than what people anticipate. Baseball's plan, I mean, I, I read through, like, their plan, how they're going to, you know, you can't spit, you can't spit sunflower seeds, you got to sit apart, uh, you know. I've been in a baseball dugout after a game. It looks like a landfill. <laughs> right. <laughs> and and I don't know how they're going to be able to police all this. I just don't know how they'll be able to play. Athletes, by their nature, are are not going to go along with a lot of these rules. I mean, they're going to have to have a whole staff of people on every team just to police 
everything in, in, in the locker room. Yeah, you know, I think the perspective I think the perspective of young healthy people is just different right now. It may have been closer to your perspective in March and in April, but I think it's different right now. And well, not early March when they were all on spring break. But I think it's different now. I think that, you know, the perspective of the majority of young people is this is not going to hurt me. This isn't going to kill me. And yes, there's a selfish. But it's not about that. I, I, I'm, I'm getting to very that. Selfish. I'm getting to that. There is obviously, you know, a part of this that they recognize that they have to be careful about. They can't bring it back into a nursing home. They can't bring it back into the Lavero home. They can't bring it back into a house with, you know, look, you. I don't want to get this. I'm not trying to act badass here. Um, I don't want to get this. I would be at risk more than a young, healthy professional athlete by by you know a factor of of a hundred probably. But I I think that um, I, look, you may be right that certain families are going to make certain decisions and. And I, I just think that their perspective is different. By the way, you know, as I'm sitting here talking to, uh, to you about this, there's this report that I'm just reading that Adam Scott, you know, the PGA Tour is planning to resume um, right. in early June with the TPC event at Colonial in Fort Worth, which, by the way, is right around the corner from TCU. Um, and uh, and Adam Scott says that he's not going to return to the PGA Tour until July. And he said, essentially, that he's going to sit out the first seven tournaments. He's not quite comfortable yet with the guidelines put forth last week by the tour. And he wants to see what happens. He said he thought it would be tighter guidelines than the ones that they apparently sent out to all the PGA players. And Adam Scott, you know, well, I don't know, Adam Scott's probably 40 now. I mean, he's not, he's not the same age as most NBA players and NFL players he's he might be in his 40s at this point um but you know that would sort of that would be you know a big time athlete who by the way has ridiculous life changing generational beyond multi generational money yeah um yeah but uh you know you you might be right um you you t- okay. yeah go ahead go ahead I was just going to say. No, you go ahead. I was going to say. I was going to move on to the next topic, but go ahead if if you've got something else on this. No, let's let's move on to the next topic. Your next because, topic uh, was something called incel. This is the strangest, most bizarre thing I've read about, and that that's a pretty wide group of things. Uh, there was a story I read about incel. It's a movement uh, with. Uh, across the country and across North America, I think, including Canada, because it, it involved an attack, the killing of a woman and uh, with a machete at a, at a massage parlor in Toronto uh, a few weeks ago. And the, the guy who did it was a member of this incel group, reportedly. Incel stands for involuntary celibacy. Apparently, there are groups on the Internet that are organizing of young guys who are pissed off that they're not getting laid. Literally, this is a group of young men who are basically angry that women are rejecting them. And they're basically, 
become misogynistic. And I told you, it's unbelievable. Well, wait a minute. What, is, what does this have to do with the attack at a massage parlor in Toronto? Well, why why would that guy, be part of this movement? Well, because the guy claimed he was a member of Incel, and that's why he did it. Why? To, you know, to, to bring to attention to the group? Oh, be, uh, I don't know. It was an attack on a woman? By yes. the way, what what massage parlor is open right now? I mean, I, that, that can't That's be that well, can't be was, open anywhere. Was, no, this was in, in, back in early March, I think. So this was before everything uh, had shut down. Well, then, but, uh, were, uh, were they involuntarily celibate at that point in in early March? They they've been involuntarily celibate for years, Kevin. These are basically guys. Oh, I thought I thought you're saying that this was a result of the pandemic because women won't no, go near him because no, people no, have to no, socially no, distance. No. I'm sorry. No, 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 no. Okay. This is just general life. These are guys who are pissed off because they're not getting laid for years. <laughs> well, and, and and they're members of of incel. Uh, here's a, a part of the story. Uh, Many only a, a fraction of the self-proclaimed incels have mobilized to violence. Many espouse hatred of women and rail against what they claim to be their oppression as sexually rejected men. Incels often refer to women as Stacy's, who they perceive only as being attracted to hypermasculine and hyper and highly attractive men who they refer to as Chads. This is a movement I, I, on the I'm internet. I'm completely unfamiliar with it, but my immediate reaction would be perhaps the reason they aren't getting laid is because they're actually in their own mind capable of coming up with an idea like this. You know, I, I know a lot of women that would know dudes like this that are capable of creating some sort of subculture uh, of, of, of guys that are that are that are upset about the fact that they're capable of coming up with the ideas, probably why they're having a difficult time relating to women in the first place. Uh, but Kevin, my impression was, why are you uh, so, why are you, there are a lot of these crazy cults out there. Uh, this one, this one really takes the cake. <laughs> I, and it's funny because law enforcement is concerned because they're aligning themselves with a lot of right wing groups and other groups who just hate everything. You know, they're all going to form this coalition of hate at, at, at some point. But my impression was, and you have young kids, so you might have a better idea of this. If you're out there, uh, you know, running around these days, not, not exactly pandemic days, but before the pandemic, my impression is it's easier to get laid than it's ever been in, in our lifetime. Prior to the pandemic? Yeah. I, you know... It, there's definitely a, a completely different attitude, you know, versus yes. the attitude of girls when I was in high school or in college. Yes, that's my impression. Uh, that, that, that it's, yeah. it's an easier thing to accomplish now. I don't think there's any doubt. I think anybody, any fathers out there listening or mothers who are listening know that, um, you know, their kids' generation is definitely uh, different in many ways. It's funny, Tommy. It's different in many ways when it comes to that. And at the same time, you know, I, 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 they just they, they've lived in many cases a life that was more managed and more sheltered. And because of that, 
they maybe didn't do some of the same things. Like I've had this conversation with a lot of friends of mine over the years. I, I agree with you, by the way. Uh, I think, and I I don't want to um, I don't want to basically cast a, you know a wide net over every single teenage girl or you know young you know girl in this generation. But I think it's easier for dudes now than it was when I was yeah. their age, and and certainly when you were their age. But at the same yeah. time, you know some of the shenanigans that we you know we we got involved in as kids and you did you know at your fraternity when you burn it down but you know more than that um god god helped the chinese laundromat that you you passed on the way home that day um but a lot a lot of the you know a lot of the 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 shenanigans that we were involved in I, my my kids they were they, they were more managed you know they were they they was much more structured for them you know, I, th- I think actually one of the downfalls of that is I-, I think the responsibility level, I think I was much more responsible as a younger person than my kids were. You know, I was turned loose. Hey, go up. It's, it's, a, it's a Saturday afternoon. Go up to the park, play with your friends, be home by dinner, you know. It, you know, go play basketball up at the courts, pick up basketball all day long, be home by dinner. That was essentially the day. You know, these kids have play dates when they're really young and everything's structured, you know, and and it's and I think it's um, you know, the parents have done too much for their kids, too much for them. And I put I myself well, in, I put myself into that group as a parent. Kevin. Yeah. Here's where it changed. It all changed when we started putting kids on the side of milk cartons. That's when it changed. That's when, I mean, we started put, putting these so-called missing kids on the side of milk cartons. Then um, American families started worrying about their kids being kidnapped, even though it turned out that a lot of that stuff was overblown, you know, literally fake news. It, it, I mean, it was exaggerated, and a lot of those were in custody disputes kind of situations. But when we started putting kids on the side of milk cartons, that's when the, the, clamp, the clamps went down on child rearing. And people started worrying about every time your kids went out the door, would they wind up on the side of a milk carton? Yeah. I, and that happened <clears throat> in the 80s, in the early 80s. Yeah, you know, it's funny because um, there's no doubt that the fear parents have it's a natural fear to protect their kids and you know things that parents didn't even think of in the 40s 50s 60s 70s i mean tommy i walked to school by myself walked to school you know uh, home to school by myself i hitchhiked when i was in high school to get to school on some days where i didn't have a ride I mean, now that's in high school too, but like I think about myself, like I'm a five-year-old walking to school by myself. That wouldn't happen today. No chance that would happen today. And, um, you know, by the way, you know, you think about that, there were crazy sick people back then too. Oh, yeah. and, 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 And because parents were so naive to that, um it probably made it a lot easier for those people, and that's what ended up happening. Yeah. I don't know. This, Listen, uh, well, I, anyway, I, I, don't I, was, I was 
I was riding the subways of New York by myself when I was eight years old. I took buses by myself. I got onto a bus when I was probably 12 years old by myself with friends and went downtown. But I told you, I had a car at 14 years old. (laughs) I bought a car at 14 years old with my best friend. We didn't have licenses. I drove an ice cream truck when I was 14 for a week until we got busted. Like a lot of that stuff, you know, it just wasn't available for our kids to do. There was much more. First of all, technology alone means we know where they are at every second, you know, of the day. You know, nobody knew. I mean, nobody knew where my parents didn't know where I was on a Sunday afternoon at three o'clock when I left the house at 10 to go up to the park to play basketball and hang out with friends. You know, they only they, they, they couldn't they would have to get in their car and drive up to the park to find me if they were concerned. Yeah, I know. I mean, I think about, I mean, we've had this, this conversation, my kids and I all the time, like, how did you, you know, like on a Friday night and you're going to parties, how did you know where everybody was? Well, you determined that before the night started. It was like, you know, we're going to start at Andy's, we're playing quarters, we got a, we got a keg at Andy's, that's where we're starting, and then, you know, uh, Mike's got a party and Julie's got a party, so we'll go to both of those, you know, after we, you know, after we pregame. That was high school. You know, you didn't you, maybe you you called over just to make sure that you know the the party was the p- people were there before you headed over there but you called on a landline. Yes. It's not like Absolutely. you were texting like who's there, should we go, shouldn't we go or here so, you know that, that's not the way it worked. Um Do you remember uh your phone number when you were growing up? I do. I remember my home phone number. 301 Yeah, well, we didn't we you didn't need the area code. 3204951 was my that was my well, we had uh, I I lived in different houses and <clears throat> Right. That was when I was a kid, that was my phone number. I remember mine it was 4241736. <laughs> That, 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 I, I, in fact, no, wait a minute. I remember mine from Brooklyn, which was UL74373. Uh, because back then they used to use letters. I remember I remember being, I mean, this is, I can barely remember this, but I remember Oliver64 or something like that. <laughs> you know, I don't even know what that meant. Um, and you know, but I certainly remember before you had to use an area code before, um, and, and, you know, you memorized everybody's phone number. You just memorized them all, you know? So now nobody, nobody knows anyone's phone number. Well, there are two things. Nobody knows anybody's phone number and nobody knows how to get anywhere without, you know, GPS. I always considered myself to be very... Uh, like very savvy when it came to you know directions. You know, I knew well, how to get. Ar- I knew how to get around everywhere. I knew this. I knew our city. I didn't even live in D.C., but I knew how to get everywhere in the city. You know, especially when I was a teenager and I was working in Georgetown and spending a lot of time in Georgetown and other uh, other areas. And this was before D.C. became the city it is to t- today, which is a much better city. Um, uh, but but uh, my kids, if I ask them, tell me how to get to, you know, where are you? How, how do I get there? They're just like, just put in the address. I don't know how to tell you how to get here. <laughs> 
you know, and but it's understandable. And, you know, that's a good use of, of technology. I'm fine with that. But I also think there's some memorization stuff when it comes to numbers, you know, that they never had to put their brains through. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I have no idea. Um, this is one of those shows that basically has just taken on a life of its own. I, let's just do the thing that I that I told everybody we would do, which is discuss... You know, Scottie Pippen's not happy. I think we talked about that the other day. He's not happy about how he was portrayed in The Last Dance. I think he was portrayed well. I like Scottie Pippen. And Scottie Pippen, to me, is the number one Robin of all time to Michael Jordan's Batman. Because in other great players' cases, they either didn't have a Robin or they had multiple Robins. But go ahead. It's hard to... It's hard to basically say who's a Robin. You have to have, I mean, doesn't there have to be one alpha dog on every team? Can there be two or three? Yeah, but but the the, the uniqueness of, of Pippen and Jordan is that there was an alpha, there was a Batman, and there was a clear-cut Robin, and after that it was just a bunch of supporting actors. You know, like, I, the first thing I thought about was LeBron and Wade. But you had Bosch there, so you sort of had two Robins. But I think I think Dwayne Wade was sort of a Robin to to LeBron's Batman in Miami. You know that's funny because uh, I guess he was, but I, I think of I, I think of LeBron as as, as a Robin <laughs> for his whole career. That's funny, and I think of I would think of Dwayne Wade as a Batman. His whole career, I mean, between Kobe and Shaq, Shaq, Shaq's Batman. Shaq is the Robin. No, Shaq's Batman. Okay, I think he is. Yeah, I I would agree. What about uh, your Wizards championship team? Uh, Batman, who's Robin? Well, I had um, I had Phil Chenier on the show this morning. I I love Phil and talking about that stuff. Elvin Hayes was Batman. Um, and it's so funny because the demeanor of Wes Unseld would be like, I'm nobody's Robin. Because he's yeah. one of the toughest son of a bitches that, have, that has ever played in the NBA. But Elvin Hayes is just flat out, Tommy, you know, one of the great. And, I, you know, we talked about this last week when we were doing the top 74. And I told you that he's still number four on the rebounds list and number 10 on the all-time scoring list. Like Elvin Hayes is underappreciated as one of the greatest players in the history of the game. Now, I'm okay where he landed on that list at 44 or whatever, but um, he he was, again, the funny thing about it is he didn't play big in the biggest games the franchise ever had. But the only reason they were there was because of him. The lead reason they were there was because of him. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Elvin Hayes, you know, I mean, if you're that much the best player on your team, uh, you have to. But again, does that mean Wes Unseld is Robin? He can't be Robin. I don't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't think of them that way. I wouldn't. Like, he, let me tell you the two that came to mind when you told me that we were going to do this. The the Wade Lebron thing came to mind. The Shaq Kobe thing came to mind. There was the third. The third was Jerry Rice, John Taylor. John Taylor was a really good wide receiver, but was clearly Robin to Jerry Rice on those great 49er teams. 
Like I thought it, I, I tried to think of like the greatest players in history, you know, and Jerry Rice, you know, is pr- probably in the NFL. Jerry Rice at wide receiver and Jim Brown at running back are the two players that no one argues are the greatest players at their position. Every other position yeah. has an argument. But Jerry Rice was a true Batman, and John Taylor was definitely a really, really underrated all-time Robin. He's a, he was a great receiver. You know, speaking of receivers, uh, those, those Steelers Super Bowl teams, Lynn Swan would be Batman, and John Stal- Stallworth. Stallworth would be Robin. Would, would be would be Robin, no doubt. You know, and they and they both became Hall of Famers, though. That's I don't think true. John Taylor's in the Hall of Fame. John Taylor is. I don't think he is. John Taylor is. There's no way he's in the Hall of Fame, but he was a. No, mu- but you're right. But he was a multi-time a Pro Bowler, and I would bet yeah. All Pro. Um, let me just let me see because I, I I don't want to be wrong about that. That came to mind for me. I could be wrong. You're right about Stallworth. Stallworth is is more a Robin to Swan than maybe Taylor is to Rice. Although Rice is much greater than Swan. Um, uh, John Art Monk, Art Monk, Gary Clark. Well, Monk was Batman. Okay. But Monk was also, you know, Batman before Gary Clark arrived, you know. Yes, he and, was. And was involved in two Super Bowls before Gary uh, Clark arrived, even though Monk was injured for the first one. John Taylor, Tommy, was actually voted to the NFL 1980s All-Decade team. So to be on the 1980s All-Decade team tells you that he was a great player. He was a two-time Pro Bowler um, and was not an All-Pro once. He was not an All-Pro once. Um, but still, recognition of him as an as a nineteen eighties all decade team, you know, to me is 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 a better recognition than the Pro Bowls. Yes. Oh, absolutely. I mean, Pro Bowls are a popularity contest. What else comes to mind for you? I had a couple of others uh, that were hockey related, but I'm not even sure I'm right. Like Messier well, the, and the Gretzky. Big, the, big, the biggest one in baseball. It, that's a good one, uh, Messier and Gretzky. And then Robin went out on his own and then won, won a, a Stanley Cup with the Rangers. Right. Uh, but uh, one, the biggest one maybe in history is Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig. Oh, right. Right, of course. That, that might be the biggest one of them all. So, Koufax and Drysdale. I was just going to ask you, there's got to be a pitching you know, duo yes. that, that fits the, the mold, right? Yeah, that was, Koufax and Drysdale. And obviously Koufax is Batman. Yes. Um, what about what about the other – what are the greatest – what about Smoltz and Glavin and, and – uh, um, well, God, they had so many great pitchers on that staff. Yeah, but Maddox. Maddox, Maddox is, is Batman. Yeah. You know what, Tommy? I mean, that, that's, that's a tough one. How great was it to watch Maddox pitch? Like Maddox was like one of those guys that just did it with like brains and multiple pitches and nothing necessarily overpowering. I I, I love watching that. I think that's um I, I really I, I enjoy I enjoy watching those kinds of performances. In in, in well, Matt, he won I think three hundred and fifty eight games in his lifetime. That's just amazing. You know, and he was he was virtually unhittable most of the time. Yeah. So uh, I mean, the Braves one is complicated. Uh, I would put uh, Glavin as Batman, and uh, not Smoltz because Smoltz 
and you know spent some time in the bullpen too. Yeah, uh, he had he had uh, he had a combination of starting pitching and bullpen uh, help, basically. You know, um, I'm just thinking back um, because I, I'm trying to re- refresh my memory um, on this thing. Um, I loved Annabelle Sanchez's performance in Game One of the National League Championship Series. We're just thinking about you know guys that did it with sort of guile, not overpower, you know, overpowering stuff. And then let's face it, you know, um, the Houston basically in in many ways um, handed Game Seven to the Nationals by pulling Granky. Granky was having just yeah. a ridiculous performance in the same way that, you know, I, I was sort of describing the, what I remember about Maddox. Um, and that was the biggest decision of the game. How they ever pulled yeah. Granky out of that game seven, I don't know. Oh, they, they, the Nationals still talk about how, you know, they, they, they were so relieved in the dugout when, when, uh, when that happened. Right. You know, locally, two, I mean, one really. Two huge, one in particular, huge Batman-Robin comparison. Alice Ovechkin and Nicholas Backstrom. Right. That's a good one. That's, an absolute, that's a big one. Definitely. Right there. And, and especially and since Madison they've been Scherzer. together so long. And Scherzer and Strasburg. Yeah, right now. Well, who's Batman there? Scherzer, right? Well, it's got to be Scherzer. It's got to be Scherzer. But, but it, but he demands s- to be. But, I mean, <laughs> Strasburg's personality is a Robin. That's true, except except when everything is on the line, they it's 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 Strasburg who's delivered. I know. I mean, I, know. I mean, maybe maybe you're right. Personality wise, we thought like orchid like that he would fit into that mold, but it's sort of, what he's done recently sort of goes against that. Well, I mean, being a Robin that doesn't mean you wilt in the moment. It just means you know you're not the lead dog, yeah. uh, and I think Strasburg doesn't want to be the lead dog. So, um, obviously, I think he uh, let let Scherzer be that. Obviously, um, like right now, the Penguins with Crosby and Malkin. I mean that that's that's you know I'm just thinking like of the obvious hockey ones too because to me Gretzky and Messier came to mind. And then it would be um, it would be Lemieux and uh, and what's his face who ended up in Washington? Uh, yeah, uh, Yager, <laughs> Yager, Jaromir Yager. Yeah, Lemieux yeah. and Yager would have been uh, a Batman Robin, right? What yeah. about what about some of the great like the like the Lakers and Celtics of the eighties? Who's Batman on the Lakers? I think it's Magic. Really, you're gonna you're gonna tell the captain he's Robin, Kareem? Yeah. No, I think it's magic. I mean, I think it is too. But you know, then you've got Kareem and Worthy, and it's sort of the same situation. Like, who's truly Robin? Same thing with the Celtics. Yeah. Bird's Batman, but then who's Robin? Is it McHale? Is it DJ? Is it Parrish? Oh, is McHale. it Ange? It's, it's McHale. Really. I think yeah. I think that's probably right. I think that's the way I would lean to. McHale came off the bench. Yeah. Um. What about running back tandems? Well, they're funny. You got to go way back in history uh, for that. And the, uh, that's interesting. 
In Washington, you had Larry Brown and Charlie Haraway. Yeah, that yeah, that's not Charlie Har- Haraway's not a true Robin. I mean, why to, not? To, he, had, he had he had like six hundred yards. Merc- Mercury Morris to Larry Zonka is a true Robin. He rushed for a thousand yards in the same year that 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 uh, that Zonka did. Uh, Rocky I, 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 Rocky I, I, Blyer to Franco Harris is a is a true Robin to Batman in a backfield. Okay, well, I think they I both think Larry Brown and Charlie Haraway is, is, is a very good Batman. But Charlie Robin. Haraway wasn't, you know, he wasn't a thousand yard rusher. Probably was never well, more than five hundred yards. Well, that doesn't mean so. He's not supposed to be as good as Batman. I understand that, but he's got to be one of the best players, and he's still got to be a great player. Charlie Haraway was a nice fullback. Do you consider him to be a real Robin? To, uh, I don't know. I don't even remember what Charlie Haraway's stats are. I'm trying to pull him up here just to see what his best year was. His best year in Washington was 635 yards and two touchdowns. That was his back, best year. Um. All right. What else you wanted to? You wanted to? You you listened to the celebrity encounter a discussion we had on radio today. What what is your number one all time celebrity encounter? Well, you know, I know what I your mean, dream celebrity encounter is. Yeah, this is different from Carlos. The, Simon. You know, our our business. You know, I yes. mean, because I've had a lot of encounters with celebrities in in, in my job. Right. Uh, but uh, random celebrity encounters, I tend to think of, of, of this. And I was at Comerica Park in Detroit for the 2006 World Series, uh, standing at a urinal in, in the men's room <laughs> under the stadium, and John Mellicamp came up in the urinal. Uh, I remember to you told that to me yeah, before. Yeah. That would have to be the most <clears throat> random uh, celebrity encounter that I, I've ever had. You've had a few, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the one – I mean – Obviously, like you said, we take what we've encountered work-wise out of right. it. I'll tell you what, you know, um, you and I had the – the uh, we did it a couple of years together, and maybe we did it a couple of years individually, but the um, th- I think we did this together. The Thursday Super Bowl week halftime entertainment show press event. Which is a small. It's it's it. They put it in a in a big room, and if you're a media covering the Super Bowl, and it's always done in the Radio Row building. Um, the year that the Who performed, uh, you know, at halftime, I think you and I did this together. I'm pretty sure it was you. We 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 got to. No, watch, it was. It was in my It was in Miami. Yeah, and we got to watch Roger Daltrey and Pete Townsend do a two man four or five song acoustic set, which was incredible. Oh. Behind Blue Eyes, it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, I think they I think they. It was Pinball Wizard. It was Behind Blue Eyes. Um, uh, I think they did Bob O'Reilly acoustically, which is really hard to do. Um, and maybe my generation, I, I, I forget exactly, but I, I do remember Behind Blue Eyes. I remember they did Pinball Wizard acoustically. Um, but anyway. Um, but I'm, we're not talking about those things. And by the way, you and I were no. like we were sitting like second row, right there. Yeah. Uh, my the one celebrity encounter, random celebrity encounter that I will never forget, and I always remember, is I was on a 
red-eye flight from L.A. to D.C. This is many, many years ago. I was not in broadcasting at the time. And I was sitting in first class. Tommy, there were there were a couple of years there on United where I, I, I was getting up. I traveled a lot in the 90s in particular. And um, I upgraded to first for a red-eye flight back on like a late Friday night from L.A. to D.C. to Dulles. And I was in the two seats. I was in the row. I was on the uh, aisle, excuse me. And I was falling asleep, and I heard somebody say, excuse me, can I get to that seat? And I said, sure. And I opened up my eyes, and it was Brooke Shields. <laughs> and um, and she sat down next to me. And, of course, at that point, my interest in sleeping uh, was not much. Um, so <laughs> I, you know... I mean, I tried to engage in some level of conversation. I can tell you that the conversation that Brooke Shields and I had on that red-eye, four-and-a-half-hour flight from LAX to IAD um, was probably five to six minutes tops. Maybe not even that much. But, <laughs> but all I remember from it is that I asked her, you know, why she was coming to D.C., and at the time the person she was dating lived in DC. He was a DC lawyer. I, d- I don't even know who that was. And uh, you know, this morning it's funny because somebody tweeted me and said, who was it? And I Googled Brooke Shields, DC attorney and couldn't come up with anything. Um, but before, I think it was before she married Andre Agassi, um, she was dating a DC attorney. And so that's why she was flying from LA back to DC. But uh, beautiful, gorgeous in person. I'll never forget it. Tall. Really? Really tall and beautiful. Um, but, you know, other, somebody tweeted me and said, and said this morning, well, you may not have had a conversation, but you actually slept with Brooke Shields. Because <laughs> she did, like, after four minutes of five minutes of small talk, she grabbed the pillow and turned towards the window because she had the window seat. There you go. And that was it. <laughs> and that was it. Because I was not going to be the guy to annoy her. Um, And, uh, you know, God forbid you ever get seated next to Carly Simon on a flight. I know. And you got off that plane and you were an incel then, weren't you? (laughs) No, I was not. I would never be an incel. (laughs) I've been an incel within voluntary, (laughs) but I wouldn't be a part of the subcult. That's that's for sure. Uh, you know what? I'll save the NBA all-time starting fives for next week because the the, the, okay. the Wizard slash Bullets all-time starting five actually is interesting, uh, which ESPN put together. Um, other than that, uh, we're done. I know this was another – what do you want from us? There's no games to talk about. Nobody said anything. As far as I know, Dwayne Haskins didn't tweet anything that would make Tommy go off. I'm going to look right now just to make sure we didn't miss anything. Um, oh, you know what? He tweeted himself. Uh, is that him? Re- oh, he's retweeting. My fault. He's retweeting. He's retweeting a picture that somebody else sent out with him wearing a Wizards jersey, number seven, throwing a football on a football field. Good for him. He's rep- he's repping the district, which is good for Dwayne good. Haskins. Good. You know, we almost got out. Let's let's get out while the getting's good, okay? Yeah. I mean, we don't need to go back to don't be a fan later because I I don't even think you and I talked about that one. Maybe we did. Um, All right. uh, Thanks. I will talk to you on Tuesday. Have a good weekend. All right, boss. You too.
All right, that's it for the day. Rate us, review us on Apple if you're listening to this podcast. That helps a lot. Um, and listen to me on the Team 980 in the mornings. Uh, that podcast is also available on the Team 980 app or the theteam980.com. This one will be out shortly. Enjoy the rest of the day. I'll be back tomorrow.